and turn with me to James chapter 4. Uh, that's where we are this morning. We're continuing here in, in worship. We're looking to God and His Word as we continue together uh, in this letter of James. And, and what we're going to do, I know this is quick, we're just going to jump in. So if you will, uh, stand with me. Uh, if, you're, if you're willing and able, as we set our hearts to hear and to receive the word that God has for us today. This is James chapter 4, starting there in verse 11, right where we left off last week. So James 4, uh, starting in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, You know that I do this. (laughs) As I stand here in front of you and your people right now, you know that I do the very thing that you're calling us not to do. And you know our hearts. You know that we are guilty of this. That we tear down instead of build up. That we speak evil instead of what is good. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive And I pray, Lord, that you would speak, that it wouldn't be me. Lord, I I stand here guilty. I stand here as accused. So what we need is your word this morning. We need you to speak by your spirit through your word to us. And that you'd give us ears to receive it and give us hearts to walk in it. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the last few weeks, um, we've been working our way through this sort of middle section of the letter of James and if you've if you if you've been with us what becomes clear is that the passages we've focused on like they're all just they're all little sections but they're but they're they're part of a of a bigger whole right they're part of a bigger picture they're all pieces of the mosaic that that James is forming of what it looks like to walk in the way of of Jesus that's the whole thrust of this letter. We could say, well, I thought, well, listen, I thought it was about not showing partiality, right? That's, that was something we talked about, not showing partiality. You could say, well, I thought it was about taming the tongue. I'm pretty sure Andrew preached, this, preached a sermon a few weeks ago on, on taming the tongue. So isn't this about taming the tongue? Or, or, or like we could talk about stewarding our finances, something he's going to come back to again. We, like, and, and we have, we've touched on all of those things. And so the challenge for us is, is, is to be sure, by the way, this is not meant to be a plug for like, you need to be here every week, but honestly, we'd love for you to be here every week, but we're working together to form one picture. 
And so if we miss part of that, we, we risk missing the whole picture. Because here's the reality. If we don't get the whole picture, what we get will, it, what we get will still be true, but it will be incomplete. It'll be like when Laurie first introduced me to the wonder that is uh, ramen noodles in college. Um, I'd never had those before. I don't, I don't know if that was means I was sheltered or, or, or if my parents were selective. I don't know. Um, I'd never had that. And it was, it was right there. And so if you can visualize, this is right there in South Tower. So if you're in the USC, if you're a USC, right there in South Tower is where this wondrous event took place, right? And on that fateful night, I was in, introduced to this just wonderfully inexpensive treat. And, and I and so I bought, I was like, this is amazing. I bought some. She remembers this. The kitchen was disgusting, but we worked through that, and uh, the South Tower kitchen was gross. Anyway, uh, I bought some of those and took them to, to my apartment. I was like, these are like four cents a bag or something. It was like ridiculously cheap, and uh, I was living on that sort of like college student budget. And so I boiled the water. No shortcuts with me. I'm not about that microwave life. I went all in on this. We're going to do it. We're going to do it right. And if you know me, you're like, yep, that sounds like him. So I boiled the water. I poured the noodles in, followed the directions explicitly. Didn't even, I didn't throw it away, right? Because that's the risk. If you throw away a little baggie, you don't know what to do. I cooked them up just like the directions said. Not the cup of noodles mess. All right, I don't mess with that. All right, just... This is the real deal. And I poured them in the bowl, and I took the spoon. I like them soupy. I took the spoon, dipped it in, took a bite, and it was terrible. Um, and I would, y'all, I don't know if I can capture fully how devastated I was in that moment, because I thought I was on to something. This is about to change. This is revolutionized my whole meal eating experience, and I was devastated. Now, listen, it was ramen noodles. It was. But in the excitement, maybe, maybe I was distracted or something. Um, I'd followed the, the directions for the noodles, but I completely neglected the very important, but also just sort of grossly named flavor packet. Um, that's what can happen if we aren't careful with a passage of Scripture. Like That's what happens when we separate out a few verses out of their context. We... we we still get the Bible, like we even still get biblical principle. What we st- what we get is still true, but it but it's incomplete. Like we get the noodles, but we don't get the flavor. And the flavor is key, man. The flavor is what the flavor is what brings us back to that meal again and again. And the flavor of this meal, the flavor of this meal in James four is the is the if, if flavor is the theme of it all, right? The flavor here is what it looks like to walk in the way of Jesus. That really is his overarching theme. That's the flavor of this whole letter. That's the point of this whole letter. Is for those who claim to be disciples of Christ. It's for us to walk in the way of Jesus. It's to follow after him. Eugene Peterson has said that to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. It's being molded. It's being shaped. It's being fashioned. It's being formed into the life of Christ. Formed into something. Here it is. Formed into something different than the way we started. And that's really what James is getting after. He's, he's been after this whole idea since, since back there in, in 3.13. So chapter 3, verse 13, where he asked, 
Who is wise and understanding among you? And that question was intentional. I mean, everything in Scripture is intentional. That question was intentional. That question was setting the table for everything that was going to come after because we should all desire to be wise and understanding. Like we should all have that as a desire. And James follows that question by, asking, or by, by saying, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And, and then last week, we saw in verse 8, so the meekness of wisdom. Last week we saw in verse 8, and this, is, this has been my verse. This verse has been beating me up all this past week. It's been on a sticky note on my desk. I've been, I've been memorizing this thing just to lock it away uh, for, the, for the days and years to come. James says this. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And here was verse 10, coming on the heels of, of showing our works in the meekness of wisdom or, or in the humility that comes from wisdom. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord. <clears throat> this is just before verse 11. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's what it means to follow after Jesus. Like that's what it means to walk in the way of Jesus. Because the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is the way of humility. The way of Jesus is the way of meekness. Remember, the life of faith isn't meant to be a life of stillness, right? It's not meant to be static and unchanging. It's not. It's meant to be. It's meant to be dynamic. It's meant to be. It's meant to be spirit filled. I've heard it said that the life of faith isn't meant for tourists. It's meant for pilgrims. The life of faith isn't meant for tourists. It's meant for pilgrims. And that's the idea that, we, that I think we can understand because because pilgrims are on their way, right here. here like, like you can't be a pilgrim without a pilgrimage. The two are mutually exclusive. You have to be both. And in the same way, you can't be a disciple without someone to follow. It's a necessary requirement. Those two things must and shall go together. And James is showing us what it looks like to follow after Jesus. And the path, right, given that it always starts with our need, is always one that's rooted in humility. That's the heart of the gospel right there. It's, it's what we just had in our, Joey prayed this in our prayer of intercession, right? That God sees us in our need, seeing us uh, living, living in sin, seeing us not living the life that we were meant to live, but, but living, living one that, that falls short. He sees us in our sin. He sees us in our guilt. God sees us in that. And again, he's not far removed, right? He's not watching it from a distance, but he's here present. He's not distant and disinterested. That's, that's not the God of the Bible, and he sees us, like he sees us in our filthy rags, the filthy rags of our own self-righteousness, the rags of, of our sin, and he doesn't run away from us, and he, does, he, doesn't, and he also doesn't push us away, but in Christ, he comes running to us. That's the whole, the whole point of the incarnation right there. That's the, that is the cross, right? It's Jesus taking my sin on himself. It's Jesus taking my guilt on himself. And we really, like, listen, we really can't miss on this. And if we miss on this, we miss on everything. If we miss on grace, if we miss on Jesus, we miss 
everything. And what James is making very clear is that getting Jesus, right, getting the grace of God in Christ, it doesn't just change the story. It doesn't just change the narrative. It changes everything. And he shows this by, I love the way he does this. He shows this by pointing to some of the most basic areas of our life. And so look back there at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Remember, this is coming out of verse 10. That's, that's the flow of it all. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And then 11 starts to unpack that. He says, he says do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. In verse 12, he says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you? Uh, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So here's what we see first. First thing, he starts with the broken way. That's what he's doing here. That's what James is doing in these verses. He's looking at the church. Notice that now. We need to be very clear on that. He's looking at the church. Notice he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. That's how he finishes that sentence. Do not speak evil against one another, brother. So he's still got the church in mind. He uses that word brother three times in that one verse. So he's talking to those who profess faith, those who are professing disciples of Jesus. That's the audience, right? You and I, as we sit here today, we are the audience that James has in mind. And he's calling out the sin of slander. That's what he's calling out here. The sin of slander that's being seen, or, or more realistically, it's what's being heard in and among them. And so I want to define that real quick here. We, we, okay, slander is a, here's what slander is. Slander is a false spoken statement that's damaging to the character and reputation of a, of a person or a group. That's what it is. It's a false spoken statement. So it's an untruth. That's what slander is. Slander is an untruth. It's a sin of speech. Remember back in 3.9, Andrew preached about this just a few weeks ago, talking about the taming of the tongue. He said, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James is coming back to that right now. He's, he's driving this home that in the context of the new covenant community, this is not the way. That's what he wants us to understand. This is not the way. And this is different than gossip. I want to make a distinction here between gossip and slander. Okay, gossip is a true story. It's just not our story to tell. That's what gossip is. It's a true story. It's just not our story to tell. I like the way one commentator makes this distinction. He says, to gossip is to take a true story where it should not go. To slander is to create and spread false stories. That's the distinction. So in this case, we're talking about people making up a narrative, making up a story. And what James is doing is he's showing us the broken way that things happen, not in the world, not in the government, not in your school, but in the church. So this sermon is not for the self-righteous. This passage is not for the people who think they're perfect. James is looking squarely at us. The Bible has us in focus, and he's going, you're doing it wrong. I want to be really careful here. I've told a number of people this. I want to be really careful of this because I've seen this happen. I, and, and, and I bet you, I know there are people sitting here, like some of you who have experienced this. 
You've experienced slander in the church. You've experienced someone say something about you that is not true and then spread that as though it is truth. I've experienced that. James says the one who speaks against a brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. That's sort of a weird sentence, isn't it? I guess okay, you can admit that. That sentence feels weird at first. As I want to be patient here and not just skip over. My temptation at a frustrating or, or confusing verse sometimes just to go, okay, on to the next thing that makes sense. But I think we need to pause here for just a second. The first thing we need to recognize is that, is number one, there is a law. Like there is a law that you're accountable to. There is a commandment that we've been given, right? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. I'm not making that up. He said that. And then he said this. This is in Matthew 22, 39. He said, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, neighbor there is contrasted to brother here in James, right? That's not the same thing. Neighbor's just anyone around you. And so what James is saying is you're not even doing within your family what you're supposed to be doing to everybody. I think it's pretty clear that we're hardest on the people we love, aren't we? I mean, we're, I, I mean, I, this is the danger of being the one who's up front having to share something. Like, I'm the worst to the people I love the most. You can ask Laurie about it. You can ask any of my kids. They'll be like, yep, he's not lying. Please don't ask for details. Like, I'm a jerk at home sometimes, man. I can go through an entire day. I can counsel people. I can spend every waking moment with people who, who, who they're going to go home and go, oh, he's, just, he's such a good listener. And I'll go, yep. And then I go home and I'm like, shut up. Sorry, I'm not, what am I supposed to say that? Don't talk. Right? I mean, isn't that how we are? We give everybody else our best. We go home, we give them our worst. Yeah. Maybe it's just me. I hope not. He said, a second is like you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of love. And just to drive it home, like just to press that in a little further, over in John 13, after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, he said, a new commandment. I give to you. Now, this is specific. This is to his people. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So that's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, that's a sacrificial die to self-love. Just as I have loved you, you're to love one another. Well, Jesus died for us to show his love for us. That's a sacrificial die to self-love. And what James is getting at is this reality that when we slander each other, whether it's the pastor or the elders or members, what we're doing is violating the law of love given to us by Jesus. This is what James called the royal law back in chapter 8. And so what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in the place of God. We put ourselves in the place of God. Someone said most, most likely the implication is that by choosing to ignore various commands in the law, especially the law of neighbor love for which James has a deep concern, we put ourselves into the position of deciding which of them we really think ought to be obeyed rather than allowing the law to shape our lives. That's what he means when he says the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. You see, it's violently anti-gospel to slander our brothers or to slander anyone. It's the height of arrogance because it assumes that you are the arbiter of what is true. This is one of the reasons it's so dangerous to ignore objective truth. You see, this is what relativism does. 
in the end, it puts me in the place of God in my life. It puts me as the one in control. It puts me at center. It's my story. It's my truth. It's my life. It's the opposite of love because it's rooted in fear. It's the opposite of humility because it's rooted in pride. That's why James follows this with verse 12. In the spirit of truth of God's law, he says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. That's what we need to remember. Listen, there is a judge. Like, I don't know that I can emphasize that enough. There is a judge. I know that idea has been lost in our era of, of sort of the attractional, soft gospel, consumeristic church. Where we, don't like, like we don't like to talk about our sin. We don't want to do that. Let's talk about going and doing good stuff out here. Let's talk about saving the world. Let's talk about reaching the nations. But let's not confess anything because that might make us look bad. Well, the gospel is that you are bad. I mean, it starts with bad news, right? That you are guilty in sin. The only way to be guilty is if there's a judge making that declaration. So the bad news for you is there is a judge. The good news is that he, that judge loves you. As the Bible is clear, there's a holy judge. There's a judge over all the earth. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the maker and the sustainer of everyone and everything. And I love how James presses this into, his heart, into our hearts. He goes, you can just kind of see him. I don't know, I, you can see him, he's writing this, so I'm going to... But who are you? Look at that. Right there at the end of verse 12. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I love that scene in Acts 19. Like, I could talk about this scene from Acts 19 for the rest of the day, so i got to be careful. There's this scene in Acts 19 where the seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva uh, were going around trying to cast out demons. Anybody remember this story? The seven sons of Sceva. They're going around trying to cast out demons, which that just sounds like a story. I want to I like, hear more about that. How are they even going about this? And, and here's what they would say. They had this script that they would read. They would go, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And it says that after they said that to, on this one particular occasion, the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And so if you're keeping track, that's not a great response. Like if you're there to cast out the demon, and the demon's like, yeah, I know Jesus, and I've heard of Paul, but <laughs> who are you? You know it's not going well, all right? And then it says this. This part almost gets, gets left out almost every time. But this story in Acts 19, it, it's, it's just priceless. He goes, the man in whom, the evil, in whom was the evil spirit, it says he leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now listen, I am not a fighter. Okay, if you come at me, I will run. Okay? You just need to know that. And for most of my life, I was fast enough that that worked. I don't know how it works these days. I try to avoid conflict at all costs now. I don't know if I can run away anymore. All right? But I'm not built for that. I'm not built for the fight. But I do know this. If you wear pants into a fight, and at the end of that fight, you are without pants. If you leave the fight naked and wounded, that's more than a loss, all right? 
I mean, that, you're not recovering from that. You're moving out of town. You are changing your name. You're definitely, I, you know, hit me up. I've lost my numbers or whatever. Like, you are out. If you leave, it, it, I heard a guy say one time, that's not just a wound. That's a soul wound, all right? That is a beat down. And listen, the, I'm telling you, that's sort of what it's like when we judge others by speaking falsely against them. That's what happens when we put ourselves before others. It's not just our brother who's wounded. It wounds us all. And the church ends up looking like these seven sons of Sceva running around naked and wounded while the world watches. Look look there at verse 13. Here's what it says there. We, We read this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Remember, he's talking to the same people here. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him... It is sin. You see, the same pride that causes us to walk in a posture of superiority over others that, that boasts about what, that's that same spirit that boasts about what we're going to accomplish. Again, James is meeting us in the ordinary moments of life. He's going, you, you actually think you're in control. Like you actually think, you actually believe that you are the captain of the ship. You actually believe that without you, everything would fall apart. Isn't that an easy lie to believe? Like, it's easy to believe that everything in our lives depends on us, that it all depends on me. It's easy for parents to think that with their kids. It's easy for coaches to think that with their players. It's easy for teachers to think that with their Apart from me, these kids can do nothing, right? We love the idea that it all falls on us. But I love how James frames this for us. There's a gentleness to his rebuke. He says, what is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I, lo- I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this. He says, you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog <laughs> catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. You're the morning dew in the grand scheme of existence. And once the sun comes up, you're gone. That's how short our days are. Another translation says, for you are a vapor. And so James, really out of love, he wants, us, he wants us to understand our frailty. That we are like a vapor, just a, just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. He wants us to understand our ignorance, that, that we just don't know it all. It's, it's, not that we, it's not that we shouldn't make plans. Don't hear that. He's not telling you don't make plans. That's not what he's saying. It's not that we shouldn't have goals or aspirations. That's part of the image of God and man. We were given that by our creator. It's not that we shouldn't have those things. Okay, To to not have goals or plans is probably more a sign of laziness than it is faithfulness. And Jesus taught this same thing, right? In Matthew 6 and Luke 11, we find the Lord's Prayer, which we said earlier. He begins by saying, our Father in heaven, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, that's a gospel-driven perspective. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does he pray? He says, your will be done. Paul, going to Jerusalem, knowing what he was about to face in Jerusalem, knowing the risk to his own life, he said, the Lord's 
will be done. You see, the way of Jesus, right, the life of Christ is a posture of submission. It's a posture of humility. This is what the church is meant to be. This is what the church is meant to reflect. This is what the church is meant to display to a watching world. We're meant to, like called to, commanded to, instructed to display the love of Christ by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. (laughs) I just worry that we don't see that very often. I'm not talking about this place specifically. I'm talking about globally, in the church, the, the one true church. Now listen, that verse can be abused, right? That you're, sub, you're sub, submit to one another of reverence for Christ. We've seen, I've seen that abuse. I know there are some here who have experienced an abuse of that verse, right? Church leaders have, have leveraged that verse in inappropriate ways. But it's mutual submission. Mutual submission. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's every member submission. That's one of the reasons church membership is so vital. It's a declaration of obedience to the law of love. It's saying that I will attach myself to you, that I will submit to that. No, you're not perfect. If you've ever been through a a Rivercrest Essentials class here, you will hear me say repeatedly, please don't ever think that we think we get it all right. As long as we're made up of people, we're going to get stuff wrong. But there's a posture of humility. You see, the church is an incubator of and for the Christian life. It's where we practice what we preach. Otherwise, I mean, here's the reality. We're just hypocrites. Just running ahead of God in our pride with a worship soundtrack playing in the background. It's a well-scored, broken way of living. Much like when we take a verse out of context, we end up with an incomplete truth. When you take a believer out of the family of faith, you end up with an incomplete disciple. If you remove a limb from the body, it loses more than just a part of itself. That limb ceases to be what it was meant to be. So yes, Jesus loves me. We believe that. Yes, you are saved individually from your sin. Your sins are paid for at the cross, but the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. The way of Jesus is never meant to be walked alone. We are the family of God. We are members of his body. Remember Ephesians 5, 2, that Christ loves us and gave himself up for us. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 21, our kids should have this memorized by now at this point in the year, that that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Of God, you hear this corporate reality that the gospel creates. Or maybe 1 John 4 19, that we love because he first loved us. <laughs> That's what James is reminding us of today. Anything less than that is not the way of Jesus. Quoted earlier that. First, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And he says, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. You know what he finishes that thought with? He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What a simple prayer it would be for this church, for every church, to pray that when the world sees us, that when we see one another, 
what we would see as a loving family of people. A people who sacrifice for each other, who submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh man, I pray that's what they see in us. Let's pray that together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't leave us as you found us. That you meet us in the mess that you find us in our, in our sin and our guilt and our shame. You find us in that and you don't leave us in it, but you come and take it from us. That you took that upon yourself. That you showed your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. Father, help us to show that love to one another. Help us to practice the way of Jesus with one another. Let us be disciples. Yeah, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.